If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Peter. I'll be there in just a sec. You remember Peter, the guy that wrote this book? He's the guy that cut the guy's ear off because he did not understand what God was trying to do. And he got in the way of God. I think he was born again, I think, at that point in time when Jesus looked across the fire at him in Pilate's Hall when they heard that rooster crow for the third time. It said he left sorrowful. I think he was sorry not only that Jesus had been caught and was fixing to be killed, I think he was sorry that he had made that mistake earlier in the night when they all came to get Jesus. I don't know what would possess a man to think that he could pull out a sword and cut one guy's ear off because he was aiming for his head now to make no mistake when there were 500 people standing behind him. What could you do to save a friend when 500 people were in a mob to try to get him? Cutting one of them's ear off certainly wouldn't help, but Jesus put the ear back on and told Peter to put his sword up. Peter didn't understand anything then. But 50 days later, Peter's sermon at Pentecost started what we now know as the church. Since then, Peter has learned a great deal from the time he prayed or preached that sermon at Pentecost until he wrote this book. He had learned a lot. Please remember that the apostles, the disciples, and those that came to know Jesus in this early part of the ministry only had the Old Testament of the Bible. The New Testament had not even been put all together, had not even been written until about 90 A.D., 60 years or so after Jesus died, and then wasn't put together in a book, even in a piecemeal fashion, these letters, until about 200. So... They still had nothing as for a Bible except the Old Testament. And I always have to bring that up to myself to remember. They didn't have a Bible to read like I do. They didn't have a Bible to read and go and confirm things like I do. They didn't have a, 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 a concordance with the definitions of words in it so I would know what they were trying to say when they said what they did. So we go here to one of the letters that Peter wrote trying to tell us as new believers, or in that day, new believers, but to tell us as believers how we ought to think and how we ought to act and what we ought to feel and what condition our hearts ought to be. And Peter, you know, was a very outgoing kind of a fellow, so he don't beat around the bush. 
Paul tried to be a little bit of a nice guy. Peter, Peter doesn't have that, those characteristics in his character. He just doesn't. Peter's kind of blunt and tells it like it is. So in chapter 2, he says, verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. He's telling us there's going to be false teachers among you. And you've got to realize that they're there. Now I was taught that now that we have a New Testament and now I'm a Christian, I don't need to put too much stock in that Old Testament. But that's all they had right here. And I'm, I've learned just in this bunch of passages how careful I ought to, 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 to believe this because it means so much to us right here today. And many shall follow their pernicious or evil ways, sinful ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. They're not telling the truth. And they deny the truth from the very pulpits we sit in front of and listen. And they're all around us. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. They're using you for their own agenda. And you've got to be able to see this with wisdom and know who it is that's doing this stuff and don't listen to them. Whose judgment now of a long time lingers not and their damnation slumbereth not. Where they're going, which is hell, is not sleeping. It's about carrying them there as quick as it can. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved under judgment. Now there's four deliveries listed in this chapter of Scripture. One of them is God delivered the angels to hell when they sinned in heaven. That's the first delivery. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. When he killed everybody but Noah and his boys and their wives. Noah was the only one, he said, that was a righteous man in the world. That was the second deliverance. Deliverance number three and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah is written about in the Bible so that people after them shall realize that God didn't like what they were doing, killed them every one because of what they were doing and use that as an example for us not to be like them. So that's important for us. There are those among us who are teaching all of this perversion. Even to, to in, in the last few days on our news program, talking about 
about gender changes and all this kind of stuff. It's all satanic. And delivered just Lot. Until I studied this scripture several years ago, I never knew for sure, I knew Abraham was okay, never knew whether his nephew Lot was, because he lived with all that bunch of crumb bones. and delivered Lot, vexed with the filthy behavior of the wicked. He had to live in there with them, Peter said, and had to put up with their crazy goings on. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing what they did vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. That's that is the fourth deliverance. The angels and the old world and Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot. But now look at verse 9. This is what the whole chapter is coming to. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. That's us. Satan can't do anything to us but tempt us. He can't touch us without God's permission. He can't make us Christians do anything. He can make everybody else. The unsaved people have to do what he tells them to do. No wonder they do some of the stuff they do. The things that make our mouths drop open and say, what in the world would somebody do something like that? Just like this boy of last week. Satan started that work in his life years ago. And nobody did anything about it. And he turned in to killing and shooting good folks. The Lord know, know how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. He knows how to get us out of temptation, keep us out of temptation, and he knows how to keep in mind those other folks that are on their way to hell. But look at verse 10. But cheaply them that walk after the flesh. Now here's a description of them. Here's a description of the unsaved, the ungodly that are living around us every day. But cheaply them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. There's a big word, folks. Self-willed. That is a sinful way to live where the only thing you think about is yourself. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. They're people who have no respect. How many times in the last few months have you heard the problem with young people is that they no longer have respect? And they don't. This is the kind of people he's talking about. Whereas angels 
Verse 11, which are greater in power and might than these people he's talking about, the false teachers. The angels are stronger. Bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. The angels do not tell God and Jesus, you need to know what these bad folks are doing down here. They don't do that. They don't say anything about it. They figure God knows anyhow. It said up there he did. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. They're going to hell. But I want you to listen to further this description because it tells us to some extent why they are and why they've got to. And shall receive the wages or the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to write in the daytime. They're going to go to hell like the people who get drunk and raise cane all day long in the middle of the day. They don't wait till night. They do it in the daylight. You see them on the streets. In some cities, you can see them in Birmingham. You see them using drugs. You see them being drunk. And they're that way all day long. They call it having a good time. Spots they are and blemishes. That's what God calls them. Sporting themselves with their own deceiving while they feast with you. Now there's something about that bunch of information that has stopped with that right there that I want to bring to your attention. It says that even when they're eating at your table, they've got an agenda in the back of their mind that they're trying to get done and they're trying to keep you from finding out what they're thinking. Let me bring this up because it became so evident to me in my mind while I'm studying this and trying to sit there and ask God to show me what he's talking about. I think in every church that I have been a member, there have been people like this. Some of them you would think don't know they're like this. But God says they do because they know what kind of choices they've made. A lot of them, as one guy said, there are some people that God doesn't give anything to except money. they got plenty of money. And everybody in the church goes to them. Every time a missionary is going here, every time a kid's programming, they always go to them and hit them up for money. Some of them have money. The God's folks have the gift of giving, have got God behind them making money. But there are others in that group who go out on Monday and you've done business with them and you know that they're being dishonest to do it. That's the people here he's talking about. And they're in churches with you. The false teachers have got to be in church with you and they're in churches all around. 
and their message is just a little bit twisted. Can't be real bad twisted because you wouldn't go listen to it. But it's a little bit. And that little bitty germ, they, the Satan hopes that they can put it in the flour like they put, put leaven in the flour and it'll make it rise, make the whole thing rise. A little bit of leaven, leaven it the whole lump, the Bible said. A little bit of baking soda makes a little chunk of flour get into a big biscuit that big. Now, I have seen them in every church that I've been in, 13 of them. And they, people look up to them. They buy the organs for the churches, but they don't live right. They give money to the churches, but they don't live right. If they had Jesus, they'd live like they were supposed to because the Holy Spirit of God would be after them to try to do that. But what I'm trying to say to you, it's important that you and I know this stuff because they're even in our churches. And people say, well, you know, I did business with that guy last week, and man, I tell you what, he pulled the biggest deal. I can't understand what's going on with him. Well, here it is. Your God is explaining it to you. He's living one life in the church on Sunday and another life in his business life during the week. And God is calling him all the time to be honest. And when you bring it to his attention, this is what you're doing, because I've done it before. This you're doing is not approved of by God. Oh, but you've got to understand, that's just the way business is done. That's the answer they give me most of the time. Oh, that, that's the way it's done out here in business. But it won't go past Deuteronomy. I've told some of them that too. So many of these that I'm talking about, their church life on Sunday does not reflect in their business on Monday. And all of you, I've heard all of you say some word about somebody like that. So we all know who they are. And what I'm trying to say to you is God is saying you've got to watch people like this now. You just got to. I've been in business for myself for 50 years. I've had to decide my own business practices according to this book. Having with their own deceiving while they feast with you. They're eating with you in church suppers and whatever. And you don't like some of the things they do but God here is pointing this out. They're not what they seem to be. Now look at verse 14. This is the key verse to me in this whole thing we've been reading. They have eyes full of adultery. What does that mean? That means that they have committed adultery on God like a man or a woman hath committed adultery on his wife or husband, these people have committed adultery to God. 
They're running around on God. They're following Satan during the week. Instead of, and then God, they, they, they make out like they're following God on the week, weekend, on Sunday. Having eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sinning. They can't help it. And we'll see in the next couple of sentences why they can't. We've been talking about it. We've been talking about consciences. We've been talking about habits, good habits and sinful habits. And we've been talking how folks act. They cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. Do you remember in the fourth chapter of Ephesians when, when, when Paul told the church at Ephesus, you need to be like Jesus and not be blown about with every wind of doctrine. He's using a metaphor there because so many people are so unstable and wishy-washy, everything they hear religiously, they believe. They're jumping back and forth all the time about what they believe. These people or beguiling, or laying a trap. They lay in, the word means that they lay in the bushes waiting on them to come down so they can trap them. That is their motivation. They're waiting to trap you to make money. Beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised, remember the word last week, trained, they've trained their heart with covetous practices. They have trained their heart with covetous practices. With covetous, selfishness. They're selfish. Everything they think about. They're eating with you and they got this deceiving going on. They're thinking about how they can make money out of you. That's what he's saying. Everything is for them. In a word, that's greed. They're greedy. And now you can say what you want. They take baths like us. They wear clean clothes like us. They learn to talk like us. They meet with us. They even give their money to us or for the church's work and whatever. And the only thing that may be wrong with these people is what's going on in their mind. <laughs> but he's trying to tell us, you need to watch these people now. Don't listen to what they're saying. Don't listen to what they're trying to teach you. Exercised. They have exercised their heart or trained their heart with greedy covetous practices. That practices is the word for habits. Repeat, repetition exercises. How do you develop a habit? You do it over and over and over and over again until it becomes so natural to you you don't even have to think about it. Are they stealing all the time? No. But when the temptation of Satan comes there, they automatically decide to do what they've always done 
and let's do something for themselves, they leave you out of it. And in the process of being that away, they've cursed children. Now think a minute. God says one of the ways that you can tell these folks, they don't like kids. They hate kids. They detest kids. It said, they didn't say they cursed children. It says they cursed children. They put a, they put a, 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 a curse on them. They hex them. Something to the extent that we don't recognize anymore because of the words are not used like it did. But when they say, damn you kids, that's what they're saying, the Bible says. And they do it not knowing any better. They don't even know to what extent they're acting. Which have forsaken the right way, verse 15, and are gone astray. Now, we have come around to a place to where we don't see evil like God sees evil. We talk about these people. We know them. We've known them. We've seen them. We know how they act. And we make comments that we don't like what they're doing. But we don't really, I don't think, realize who exactly they are. But God says don't pay any attention to them. They have got people beguiled in every church I've ever been in. Well, you know, I'd hate to do business with him. But I tell you what, you know, he did buy us that new piano. That's the way they see somebody like that. And God wants us, you guys and me, to know better. Their greed has become a habit. They think that way automatically, without thinking. It becomes natural. They think everybody thinks like this. See, that's just the way it's done in business. When they tell you that, what they're saying is everybody does it. I remember one time I was approached as a board member of the Alabama Quarter Horse Association and asked to put before the board a rule that anybody that used drugs on their horses, the horses would be thrown out of the contest. And the people that came to me trying to talk me out of doing that, saying, well, everybody does it. That's, that's, their, that's their way of saying it. And that's Satan's way of saying the whole thing. Everybody does it. Why do you think you're supposed to do any different? Because we have a God in heaven that loves us and tells us to do different. When tempted, greed is their natural reaction. And I think that if we are going to add any unbelievers to this, to the role of those that are called up yonder, to the, to the church 
of Jesus Christ on this earth by explaining them the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're going to have any headway in dealing with these people like this, and maybe we won't, we've got to understand, though, who they are. We've got to understand who we're talking to. It will help us use the right words and the right tone and the right attitude that will help maybe have them accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and become like us. What I'm trying to say is they're in our churches. That makes some of us feel like that they're harmless, but they're not. And going to church is not enough. It's not good enough. I have known people who move, salesmen, who move to a new town, and the first thing their company told them to do was get in church. You'll look like a good guy, you'll talk like an honest guy, and you would be surprised how much you can sell to people in a church. They don't come to church for Jesus. They come for profit, their own profit and their own greed. And to know these people and to listen to them will help us keep from deciding and make the choices like they did in our lives. But instead, we will choose the righteous way and the Jesus way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's not easy to talk about folks like this. But make us see that's how you see folks like that. That we might be looking at them the wrong way. Lord, don't let this be something that would cause any of us to keep from being what you'd have us be to keep us from giving for fear that we might be identified with one of them. Because, Lord, it's easy enough for one Christian to be able to tell about another one. And we thank you for that ability. We th I thank you for this church today because I don't know one person like that in here. Not one. But, Lord, they're around us. And they exert influence on us. So, Lord, make us understand that this comment that we're making about the way they act is really probably inspired by the Holy Spirit because we have become so scared of making a negative comment about anybody that's involved in a church. So, Lord, we thank you for your instruction. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how many times in our New Testament that we are warned against making the wrong choices. It's in Jesus' name I pray this prayer. Amen.